everyone, it's Paul, and this is the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast. We believe goodness is a successful strategy for good leadership. Our purpose is to spark positivity and what's possible thinking in leaders like you so you can radiate goodness today and every day. I'm the founder and CEO of Good Leadership Enterprises. Our mission is to spread goodness because we believe goodness pays. This podcast is being recorded in the Aspiration Suite of our offices in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I make my living as an author, executive coach, and professional speaker. You can find more about us on the goodleadership.com website, and you can check us out wherever you find podcasts. And as always, we invite you to leave ratings, reviews, and comments. Today, we are continuing our podcast series about the How Goodness Pays book project. This is the second episode of five podcasts we are launching this summer, all about sharing what I've been working on for the past three and a half years. Please feel free to pause this episode and jump to the why episode we launched just a couple of weeks ago so you can understand why more about this project. So this podcast does not feature a speaker from the Good Leadership Breakfast series as we've done eight times already. Instead, we will be sharing our experience about the whys and the hows and the whats and the foibles of creating our newest book. With me today are my friends, my uh, co-author, Paul Hillen. Please say hello, Paul. Hey, Paul. How are you doing? And our friend uh, and research partner, Jerry Miola. Hello, Paul. So, Paul Hillen, I know this is confusing. Two Pauls on the same podcast. Uh, would you please give us a little bit of the one-minute version of who are you? And feel free to refer to me as Hillen, no problem. Yeah, right? okay, as, I can do As that. we do every day. Sure. Yeah, so, you know, the easiest way, I guess, to think about is I'm a business executive. been doing this for 32, 33 years and 15 years at Procter & Gamble and sales, brand, general management. And then I spent uh, about 15 and a half years at Cargill. Uh, most recently as the chief marketing officer at Cargill, and today I work for a private equity firm helping them run uh, run a couple of companies. Well, and also you're a father of four and really active in the Minneapolis-St. Paul business community. Yeah, yeah, been in Minneapolis for 16, 17 years. So very active, sit on a couple of uh, nonprofit boards and a couple of for-profit boards. So, yeah, pretty uh, pretty active. Good. Jerry? Yes, Paul. So I'm a market research professional. I specialize in helping organizations understand the voice of the customer and more importantly, what is that customer experience. So I've been fortunate to be in this industry for 30 years, owned my own business for 25 of those years. And I would like you to think of me about, boy, she is the data gal. The data gal. I like that. So I should probably now explain a little bit about what this Goodness Pays book project is all about. Um, So three and a half years ago, you and I, Paul, uh, when you were the chief marketing officer at Cargill, we fantasized about creating this research project to prove how goodness pays in leadership. And now we are just a couple of months away from releasing what I think is going to be the signature book for our firm. I think this is really exciting. I'm really glad you're here to talk about it. Yeah, I think, I think Paul, I remember, I think you described my leadership style as a bag of hammers at that time when we met. So, uh, yep, uh, yeah, that's I've absolutely been a long, true. We've come a long way since then. That's true. And so I was your executive coach when I made that observation. And it was after our coaching relationship that you and I started to fantasize about why we wanted to do this project. So can you just give us a couple of uh, sentences about what was going on there and kind of what led us to the conclusion to actually get started in this? Yeah, well, you know, when when I was at Cargill, we we were rallying our entire organization, over 150,000 people around this whole idea of, um, you know, anywhere around the globe, if you did business with Cargill or most importantly interacted with Cargill people, that you could thrive. 
And that was the foundation of this is that great leaders not only thrive themselves, but they help the organization thrive, and especially those uh, who work for them. So I thought this was a perfect fit for where we were at Cargill at the time. And one of the most important things that we decisions we made was to actually do a research project to figure out how do we articulate that in ways that really speak to people who are actually more inclined towards data than the ideas around things like goodness pay. So let's talk about um, how, how do we how do we think about conceiving this whole research project? Yeah, well, I think you know you you just said it is that I think. Most people intuitively get it that goodness pays, right? It's better to be a good person and you're going to get more out of people. But, you know, there are a lot of critics out there, and, and personally I'm one, right? I mean, I tend to be a guy that's that's half glass empty, and to, to almost prove it to myself, even though I was living it and saw it, you know, through, through my own personal metamorphosis, but knowing enough people in the business environment that unless we had research behind it and could prove empirically that goodness actually does pay and by pay means you get better business results as a result of exhibiting these leadership behaviors and so we absolutely said we've we've got to do research around this a to make the book different and then b to have it be compelling to people to say yeah okay there's data behind this i know i can get better financial results as a leader if i exhibit these behaviors yeah i have to say that your insistence on the financial piece of that really changed my point of view i wasn't sure i could measure it what i knew was i have a thriving business coaching executives we start with the idea goodness pays and we walk them through series of exercises where they start behaving differently that are consistent with goodness but i never figured out how to round third base and actually prove it and talk about it in financial terms um I think one of the reasons that I really decided to partner with you is you got you had a concept of how to do that, and that was new for me. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, because I, as I said, I worked for P and G for 15 years, and my upbringing was we we researched everything, and so I, you know, kind of had an idea that we could do this. And in fact, you and I talked about that. You know, I had an association. I was on the advisory board of the Carlson School at the University of Minnesota, and also at the University of Chicago Booth, and and I actually took this idea at first to both of those universities and they pondered it and then ultimately they said you know there's maybe it's not enough here it's not what we do in academia not that it was a bad idea but it really isn't something we sink our teeth into and um so we said you know we maybe we need to to look elsewhere well and what i learned is that um the academics didn't think there was enough sizzle but me doing what I do for a living out here out on my own, um, we're finding, finding lots of sizzle in it. We needed to find somebody else who kind of shared that same level of passion. Yeah. But remember, before that, we went to, uh, we socialized it yeah. with, with a lot of leaders we knew, small, medium, large uh, companies, business leaders, and said, you know, do we have something here? Is this a different idea of goodness actually pays? And if we could prove it to you, do you think that this would be a compelling book? And we got some pretty good reception, right? Even there were a few skeptics in there, which was great. You know, in, in our book, we, we are going to be honoring the skeptic to, to, to prove it. And I think the research foundation or element is, is what was critical to that. So when we socialized it with a group of folks, they, they, I think, reconfirmed two things. One is, I think you got something different here that isn't out there. So goodness pays because <laughs> there were a lot of people that said, geez, does the world really need another Leadership, leadership book, book. Right? yeah. But what you guys are talking about is different. And if you prove it empirically with research, 
and have it be you know fact-based, uh, then you'll really have something here. Well, in fact, it was a breakfast I had with Richard Davis, the CEO of U.S. Bank, who said, I'm inclined to support this because you guys are going down a different path. So, yeah, and we talked about that yeah. in the introductory podcast here. So then uh, talk about how did we land on finding our research partner? Yeah, so we... You know, we said we've got to have somebody who is has the technical mastery around market research. And, of course, you automatically go to a market research firm. And you had a relationship with Jerry. I, uh, you know, peripherally knew Jerry Meal at SMS Research at the time and said, you know what? First of all, Jerry buys into what we're doing, right? You, you knew Jerry and, and through discussions that we both had and said, we think Jerry is the right person. She's got a significant number of years of doing this. She's a fact-based, analytical-type individual, which is exactly what we needed. The so data could, gal, she the, says. The yeah, data gal, right? Yeah. I forgot. Yeah, mm-hmm. Jerry. And, and we said she and her firm have a history of supporting a working hypothesis with the data. And I think one of the, the elements that Jerry brings to the table is, and this is a downfall of a lot of research companies that I've worked in the past, is they'll go out and find the research to support your hypothesis because they want to make the client happy. And we knew that Jerry would look us in the eye and say, you know, guys, we're just not finding yeah. it. If, if it's not there, you know, your hypothesis is probably a good one, but the research doesn't tell it. And so we knew Jerry would be honest with us. So her technical mastery, her years of experience, uh, her results that she had produced in the past and and our relationship and, and uh, the fact that we knew she'd be honest with us, I, we I think you and I both sat down and said, I think Jerry's going to be a great choice. So, Jerry, what did you find interesting about this project? You, you work on a lot of different types of things. Uh, you know, I, I, I think one of the things we have to look at this from an approach standpoint is I never looked at it as a, as a single-item project. And a lot of the work I do in the marketplace is just that. You come to us with a project and you say, when we're done, we're done. This wasn't an initiative where we were just going to execute a thing and say, here's what we learned in recommendations and insight. This was a project that was going to make a difference, had a lot of purpose in, in the marketplace, and, and in and around it, all the goodwill that we could, in fact, you know, um, spread to individuals made it more exciting than any other type of initiative I've worked on. So the outcome was, I, I think we have to look at it as we had an hypothesis and we were looking at it and saying, how can we make a difference together? So one of my favorite parts of this whole project was the beginning because I am not a researcher. I actually got removed from my psychological studies major in college because I couldn't pass the research methodology class. So when we finally got this deal done and we sat down and had the, how are we going to approach this? I was like a fly on the wall. So can you guys talk a little bit about how you landed on the, dis, the, the way you structured this research? So Mr. Hillon and I, in structuring the research, both agreed first and foremost that in, in order to execute research like this, you have to take a science and an art to it, and you have to look at it and say it really has a flavor of being academic, and it has a flavor of being business-oriented. And so we had to mirror both of those concepts together immediately. And the way we did it is we agreed upon a core set of hypotheses. And, and what we wanted to do was prove those hypotheses. Differently than when you do business research, you, you don't use a term like that. You use, we have a business objective. And so that was that was the beginning of it. And Paul, you know, Mr. Hillen, take it from there. What else did we do to have fun? Well, I think, you know, and this is, anybody listening will know that the 
you do research and you generally do a, a qualitative, right, which is generally not fact-based or empirical, but you, you use that to kind of vet your research methodology. So we did the qualitative, and then we said there had to be a quantitative part. And so the qualitative piece, in addition to, you know, socializing some of those ideas, was we went out to, I think it ended up, uh, what, Paul, being about 18 or Jerry, 18 uh, leaders, where we said, uh, we, we found 18 leaders, and, and again, through through the research methodology, so it wasn't just people that we knew, but we identified people who we we knew had great financial results, so the pays part of goodness pays, and then they were seen as um, those types of leaders that exemplified goodness. They had those types of behaviors. So, Jerry, you, you used the word recognized earlier, so tell us a little bit more about how do we identify those people. So the individuals that we wanted to talk to us about this whole concept of, of goodness were individuals who, across multiple industries, were recognized. So it, it could be they got a national award. Uh, they could have got uh, local recognition through a press, but unless their name was seen somewhere else besides us sitting at what I call boardroom research and having a discussion saying, I think this would be a good individual, uh, they would not have qualified. And so we did a lot of scouring, again, of the literature and saying who was replicated many, many times and recognized in one way, shape, or form. And that was... That makes this research different as well is because a lot of times when you look at who are you going to interview to help design and execute sound research, uh, a team of people sit together and say, I think this is probably a good person we want to talk to. That was not the approach we took. Um, we wanted everything, again, to be fact-based. What I thought was fascinating is that when we reached out, only one person uh declined our interview request, and that was because he was retiring and didn't want any more press. Yeah, geez, I sure wish it was like that when we do market research every day and only one person declined. So in the approach, the next thing we did is we looked at that really made a core difference when we start looking at the findings is we said, how are we going to execute this from a quantitative perspective? Because how we did the qualitative had to match, and we had to make sure we had a representative sample both ways. And, and so what we decided was, let's look at the world we live in today and say, should we, as first, the first thing we thought about, remember, we're, we're looking at hypothesis and we're saying, does goodness pay? We said, maybe we should just go to large companies. And so we spent a lot of time vetting out that before we finally came to a quick conclusion that says the world is heavily growing by small size businesses. We need to have them representative. And so then we said, well, if we're going to do small, let's do midsize and let's do large. Then came the research is how do you define those? And so what we went to is standard definitions that exist in the marketplace by the Small Business Administration. And we came to small was 50 to 249 employees, medium was 250 to 499, and, and large corporations were 500 plus. That is for when you look at it and say, what did we learn? That is a key finding that we definitely want to share with folks. And most research we found was really geared towards the large Fortune 200 companies. Oh, it's, it, you know, you talk about people. I've been in Voice of the Customer Research all my life, and large companies love the press, love the press. Now we can share with you the ideas behind companies that don't get that type of press, and that's going to be small to medium-sized companies. So you two debated. It's crazy, right, because 85 to 90% of employees work for a medium to small size company. Yeah. You know, one of the most important things we did though, way up front before we went into the, you know, the, the quantitative piece is we said, we have to do a literature research because some of the people we talked to, some of the leaders as we were socializing the idea said, does the world really need another leadership book? 
So we said we need to, we, you know, Paul, you and I, we, we looked at what are all the leadership books we like. We, we pulled out the top 10 that we liked, what did we read, and we said, you know what, we don't think there's anything else out here, but, of course, we can't read every book. So one of the things that we worked with Jerry on is she and her firm did a literature search, went out there and, and looked, you know, uncovered every stone and said, is there really any other book that's out here like that? And came back, right, Jerry? I mean, you came back and said, we're not finding anything. And, you know, there's some things that touch on it, skirt around the edge, but not specifically around goodness pays and the idea of supporting it with empirical research, right? I mean, wouldn't you say that that's kind of what the finding was? That's, that's what the finding told us, because without that literature review, we, we could have opted to say we're not going to move forward with this initiative, because if the marketplace was already flooded with an answer to our hypothesis, then all we would be bringing is another book on a shelf. And we certainly don't have room for any more doorstops, do we, team? <laughs> No, we don't. That's exactly right. So what I thought was fascinating is how we turned what we learned from the interviews into the quantitative research. That's something that I don't know anything about. It was fun for me to watch the two of you do that. So um, can you give us just a couple of minutes about how we actually executed the quantitative part? Yeah, so in the quantitative part, the first question that is, is most critical to our research process is who are we going to execute the research with? And so we've already alluded to who we talked to just to help us in a definition of the of the business issue, and that, that was marketplace leaders. We then had to ask ourselves, do we do research where we go back and talk to marketplace leaders and get their thoughts on about does goodness pay, or do we go to their direct reports? And so we, we isolated those two business questions and, and made the most critical decision of this book, and that is we went and said, if we go back and talk to leaders based upon what we learned in the qualitative interviews, uh, we would be drinking our own Kool-Aid. Of course, goodness pays. Why would they ever say anything differently? So we didn't need a little bit more Kool-Aid on the table. So we said we need to talk to the direct reports and have an adequate sample size so that we, we took those hypotheses and we made them live be real and, and, and breathe. So we did a total sample size of 900. We did 300 across the board between, again, our small, mid-sized, large companies and let the direct reports answer the questions, does goodness pay, based upon the behavior of the individuals they report to. And I think what was also important on that, and Paul, when when you were my executive coach is, you know, and, and knowing this as a leader is what you think or how you think you might be behaving could be wildly different than what your direct reports think, right? You think you're doing a great job and you're giving people the right feedback and exhibiting the behavior. Yeah, you thought you had soft hammers. <laughs> That's right. I thought I had uh, nerf hammers. So, um, and yeah, and then you get that that feedback. And so to support what Jerry said, as we said, just from our own experience, right? I mean, you think you're you're doing everything right and you've been getting good results, but then when you get the real feedback. And so I, I think that's a critical component to this book, that a lot of the research that is done is not necessarily the flip side. What we the beauty of what we have is we have it straight out of the leaders' mouths who have been successful, and then the quantitative gets it from the people who report to the leaders who have followed them and have been successful as well. And I think in our liter literature search, we really didn't find anybody else who was doing that. And I think that's what will make this unique as well. So over roughly 18 months, we've landed on some things. And I guess I'm, I want to jump to the punchline now. Jerry, I'm curious to find out now that you've done this project, and what, what's the most interesting thing that you found from our research? 
Yes, so the most interesting thing I found was, again, being the data gal, it, it comes from a conclusive finding that, you know, across the, the three segments we looked at, it turned out the mid-size segment, that of being medium 250 to 499 employees, was the area where significantly we found goodness does not, they it does not pay in that segment. They have the most complex type you know, growth in their businesses. And right now, if we were to focus on one target audience and, and helping them, it would be that mid-sized business. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating because my firm serves mostly these mid-sized high-growth companies. And we've speculated as to why goodness pays, does not pay. And one of the reasons how voracious their appetite for capital is for all sorts of things. But that's a subject for maybe a whole nother podcast. Um, how about you, Paul Hillen? What was the most interesting thing you learned? Yeah, I, I, my, mine is around the concept of, of fairness, and I think it's funny. So over the years, as I've presented research to either the board of directors of the companies that I've worked for or, you know, when I worked for a senior leader, and they look at the research and they say, well, of course, did we really need to spend money on that? And I think that's the, uh, the demonstration of great, great research when you look at it, and it almost becomes common sense. But... Paul, as you and I have talked about a thousand times, common sense is not always common practice. And it's common sense after you see it, but then you say, well, why haven't you been doing it? If it's common sense, right, why haven't you been putting it into practice? And so I think my ahas, which kind of fall into that common sense, I think when people listening to this hear it, is it's around this idea of fairness. And that what came out of the research was that the, the people who report to the leaders, the 900 people out of the quantitative, said fairness to me is, first of all, that leaders make decisions. They're decisive. They don't have a meeting after a meeting after a meeting or say, I'll get back to you. Because you, you actually might be thinking that you're bringing people along and creating followership, but you're basically disengaging them. So that was that was one around fairness. The other was, is, and again, this is obvious, but it doesn't happen all the time, is I'm giving people credit for the work that they've done, letting them present it instead of leaders who take their work and present it to somebody else. And that was a big one where people said, um, you know, I, I, my leader gives me that type of credit and rewards that excellence. Um, another one was around, and we all know it, and I've been guilty of it in the past as well. I think I've become much better is, is that when you look at if there are people who aren't performing in the organization, you move those people out. Everybody in the organization knows, and when you do it, people kind of have a sigh of relief and say, okay, my leader is looking out for me, and they're being fair to me and to the organization because, right, they, they moved out a team member who maybe wasn't pulling their weight or wasn't fully engaged. And so I think this concept around fairness, but digging in deeper, because a lot of people confuse fairness with equality, and it's not necessarily about treating everybody equally. It's, it's being fair with those two or three things that I just mentioned as the, you know, as the key to the definition of yeah, fairness. Yeah, circumstantially being fair. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, mine, mine was a connection to, to uh, pays, to the financial piece. Okay. And that the idea that in order for goodness to really pay financially, that profits have, you have to build um, consensus around the idea that profits are healthy for everybody in the business. And the more that we've been probing that since we found this out about a year ago, we probed this in our coaching work. And it, you'd be surprised at how few employees believe that when our company is more profitable, it'll actually benefit me. And that is one of the fundamental equations of fairness, but also linking goodness to pays. So to me, we've done a lot of shifting here in our practice at coaching around that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we could talk about this forever. 
Um, we do have other things that are coming in future um, podcasts. Is there anything else you guys would like to say before we close here? Yeah, so in, in closing, as I, as I look at the change in my career, and I'm going to move on from being in the direct research world to now being in a company and being part of the senior management team, I, I feel like for our listeners out there, um, I'm way ahead of the game because I'm going to take everything I've learned from this goodness pays initiative and immediately apply it to that mid-sized company that I now am a, uh, a key member of. And um, I, I just, I, I have everybody excited. And for those of you who want to learn more, um, get excited with us. Thank you. Very, very well said. So um, there's a reason we call this the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast. We, at the, we always end by stating the obvious, and that is that we believe goodness pays. How about you? Of course, goodness pays. And what we, what we learned from Jerry, what Jerry just said is, it doesn't matter if you're small, medium, or large, that would, the research says, regardless of the size of your company, these concepts work, and goodness certainly pays. And Jerry? Goodness pays. Well, thank you very much for tuning into the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast. We really appreciate your precious time, whether you're exercising or driving during a commute, maybe even laying in the sun or flying on an airplane to someplace special. As I said in the beginning of this podcast, our future episodes will go deeper into this idea around goodness pays, and we will start to lay out soon what are the five major findings. We call them the goodness factors that we found. We'll also continue to present the speakers of the Good Leadership Breakfast. That's coming here soon. So thank you very much, and we look forward to seeing you again soon.